throughout this whole narrative, one of the things that we see is the hand of God. God manipulating and, and forming and fashioning and, and, and working out what we've talked about throughout this whole entire book, that Jesus is, throughout this whole book, declared to be the Son of God. From what we've already talked about in the last few verses to, we go to where we are today, the point of this whole narrative is that Jesus had already told the people, told his disciples, told those that were there at the crowd what was going to happen. And as you read this final part of this narrative, what you find out is they, like many times like us, they heard, but they yet still did not receive and understand fully what Jesus was saying. And so many times in our world today, we come and we hear the word and we read the word and we say we study the word, but our understanding sometimes is limited, partly by flesh and also partly by our lack of belief. And you have to say, this crowd, these people are no different than you and I. I love the Bible for that because it, it, tell, it shows us who we really are. They, these people are no different than us. Sometimes I've heard, I've heard people say, well, you know what, if I, believe, if, if I was alive when Jesus was here, I would. No, not necessarily, because they had Jesus, and they still didn't do what they were supposed to do. So the idea now that we, if he was here bodily and in flesh and was talking to you this morning, that you and I would just immediately go out and do what he wants us to do, that's not necessarily the case. Because now he has not just given us the fact that he has to be here in our presence, but the fact that he now resides in us through the Holy Spirit, and because of that, we ought to be able to live out what he wants us to do. So, in this context, he has already told them what was going to happen. He, he expressed that what was going to be happening with Lazarus was going to be for the glory of God. I am going to show you something that has never been done, and it's not about me. It's all about my Father. And by the time that we get to chapter, verse 28 of this text, we find out in this from from this text, we find out that Jesus, from 28 to verse 37, we have the encounter at the tomb. Jesus is there. He had been greeted earlier, and now we find out that Martha, his sister, comes, and he says here that Jesus was, in verse uh, 28, we find out that when she had said this, she went out and called to her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is coming. So, on well, the backdrop of this, what you have is Mary and Martha, as their brother had been dead for four days, had had a conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Had had a conversation, and apparently they had repeated the same thing. Because Mary had said earlier, Lord, if you had not been, been here, our brother would not have died. Now Martha comes, and Martha repeats the same exact thing, which says that they, in their grieving process, had had a conversation where they were talking about, you know, man, if... If Jesus had just been here, he could have prevented all of this. The, his, the fact that here, verse 28, that as she goes back and gets her sister, and she gets up, she rises up, she gets up, she runs to Jesus, and because of the people that had come, one of the things that, two things I know typically happen. Usually we see people when we're out shopping, more so like Sometimes you go to Walmart and Kroger's and you see some people that you, have, you don't normally see on a regular basis. And whenever there are funerals or homegoings, you see people that you 
typically you don't see. I saw people when I was at Tracy's home I'm like, where have they been? And some people said they live here in Wilmington. I go, you're still here? I never see you. How is that possible? We're not that big. Here's the same thing. Many people, because it's the time of the Passover, they had saw, many had known of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They're all gathered there together. And when they see her get up, and, and they are in the morning and grieving process, because she gets up to go, they all, everybody else gets up and goes. And they believe that the reason why she's getting up is because she's in such deep mourning and such deep grief that she's going to the tomb of Lazarus. And we find out that it was said here that Jesus had not yet come to that village, but was still where he had met Martha. When the Jews who were with her, there it is, they said, wait a minute, let's go and console her. They saw her get up and go out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. She's going there. She's going to the tomb. We know where she's going. She's going to the tomb because she's, gonna, she's still going to be weeping and grieving. But I find that the interesting part of this it's not so much centered on, for me, it's not centered on Mary and earlier Martha, but on Jesus's, how he encountered all that was happening there at the tomb. Because he says that when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She had done that earlier. She fell at his feet saying, there it is. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That's what I find interesting. He was moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. The King James, the NIV, the ESV, and a lot of translations really don't do justice to the intent of what the original says. The original really has the idea that Jesus was angry, that Jesus was upset. Not that he was grieving and groaning his spirit because he was empathetic in, to what was happening to Mary and Martha. He was really upset and he was angry at a couple points. Number one, he was angry and upset at what the sin had done to this world. The consequences of sin was death. And he, he, in his mind's eye, saw what death had done to Lazarus on a personal level as well as what death has done to, has done to everybody else around. So he's not empathetic and like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm grieving in my spirit. I'm groaning in my spirit because poor, poor Martha and Mary, I know what they're going through. That's not the intent of what the original said. The original is saying he's upset because he understood the consequences of the sin and also the consequences of the unbelief that was there. Because he knew that the people that were gathered around Mary and Martha and all those were there, they had forgotten, his own disciples had forgotten the whole reason why he was there in the first place. And that was to show the glory of God. He said that in verse in chapter eleven, verse four. He mentions it in chapter in verse eleven. He told him in chapter in verse thirteen of chapter eleven, and now in verse twenty three and twenty five, he already told him Lazarus. The more, Lazarus is asleep. Number two, Lazarus 
I am going to show you for the glory of God, for the glory of my Father, so that you might know that he sent me. I'm going to raise him up. He had already told them that prior to we get to where he's now getting ready to be at the tomb. And so he's, he's angry and he's, he's, he's upset that sin, the consequence of what sin did to the world and what it had done to his friend Lazarus and what it did to Mary and Martha. But he's also upset because he says, they have yet to understand what I'm saying. I said it. I told them. And the same thing he could say to us. I told you. I said it through my words that I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed beg for bread. I told you that I came to give you life and I've come to give it to you more abundantly. I've told you that when you die, death is not the final chapter. I told you that you, like Lazarus, well, also, and like me, we'll also get up, go through the grieving process, moaning, and, and go through all that. But understand this, that this is not the final chapter. I told you, he's going to get up. I simply said, all I told you was, he's asleep. Remember what the disciples said? Oh, if he's just asleep, are we going over just to wake him up? He was dead. He was dead as you could be dead. And Jesus is, is grieved in his spirit because he sees the lack of faith. The, the, my DSV says he, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He's troubled at the, the lack of, of the belief of his disciples. They had been with him this long and they had yet to understand all that he had done. Come on now. He could be deeply troubled at us for what he's done to you in your life personally and what he's done for our church. He could be deeply troubled at that. Wait a minute. Where is your faith? I've brought you a mighty long way. Have you not been sick? Have you not had disease? Have you not had circumstances? And the only reason why you and I have made it is because of the greatness and the goodness and the mercy and the love of God? I've been with you this long, and you still, and I still don't get it. Oh, he loves us, but he gives me every now and then. He, he looks at us, as, when I say us, I'm talking about us personally and us as a church and us as a, as a universal world. He says, what is it that they don't get? How is it you missed the point? How is it that you were sick in the hospital, you had a, a baby that was sick, you had a, a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or an aunt or an uncle, grandpa, grandma, whatever. And God, they, they were almost sometimes to the point of death, and God brought them up. And yet, where's our faithfulness to him? Don't talk to God about your great love. I love Jesus. No, you don't. Because if you loved him, you'd be obedient to his word. You'd follow him. You would make a commitment to be on mission and on point to live for him. Part of the thing we learned in Sunday school is that we as believer priests have a responsibility. You and I are not saved just to do what we want, when we want, how we want, and when we want to do and all that. No, no, no. We are God's representatives on earth. You receive the Holy Spirit. He empowers you to live out the Christian life. But the responsibility that is enabling us to do that is that you and I have the responsibility to be taught, to listen, to hear, and to obey the word. Because you, you don't understand. You may not, if I say we're supposed to 
We're supposed to be on mission. Some of you won't understand what I'm talking about. You know why? Because you missed the class where we talked about being on mission. Being on mission is doing the things that God wants you and I to do. Our whole life, from birth to death, from new birth in particular to the day we die, is to live out for Christ his life. It's no longer, when you say yes and I say yes to Jesus, it's no longer about you. Your wants, your desires, what you want to do, it's not about you anymore. It's all about Jesus. Lord, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? How, how would you have me serve you? How would you have me serve in my church? How would you have me serve as I go out in the community? Help me, Lord, to be that light. Help me to be that city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. So that when people see me, they don't see Byron. They see the Christ that is in Byron. And the love of God that's in me that's shed across to everybody else. It costs. It costs to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's what he's angry and upset about. He's like, I, I, I told them. I verbally told them in verse 11, in verse 4, in verse 13, in verse 23, in verse 25, this is going to be done for my glory. And here I am. Standing at this tomb, people cry, and they, the Jews, when they cry, they just don't go. <laughs> they scream. They holler. I mean, they get into it. That's part of their culture. So when he's around and he's hearing and he's seeing all that, he's like, so like I think what Kathy sometimes tells about, um, help me, David, what was the pastor we heard say this from Texas? He's done passed away now. I just saw him. I watched him on. No, it wasn't Jackson. He came to be. Patterson, Patterson, you know, Pastor Patterson came here and said, you know, some of us as believers, we got we to gotta realize something. There's no sense. You can cry, you can moan, you can grow, but do not cry, Pastor Patterson, and don't be crying profusely and profusely and out of control. That's not biblical. As a believer, that's not biblical. You can cry, you can moan, you can grieve, but do not grieve and cry and do that out of profusely and out of control. That's not what a believer does. Because that shows, what it shows to Christ and what it shows to us is that your lack of faith and belief in him. Because if I know my loved one knows Christ, oh, I can cry, but I should not get to the point that I'm so out of control and so just distraught that I miss the point that, wait a minute, they're a believer. I will see them again. I've got, why? Why should I not do that? Because I've got the assurance of God's word. God's word supersedes my full emotion. And that's what Jesus is upset about. And he just says, where have you laid him? And they say, Lord, come and see. And the two shortest words in the Bible, the shortest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. He wept at the condition that he saw people. He wept at the condition of what he saw Mary and Martha. And he said, he's, he just had to shed a tear. While everybody else is around him is just going nuts, he's like, probably saying within himself, Father, they just don't get it. 
Jews said, they misinterpreted his reaction when he was weeping. He said, wait a minute. Evidently, he really loved Lazarus. I mean, see, look at Jesus. He's, he's, this, he's, he's weeping. He said, see how he loved him? He did love him. What's phileo? The word that love was phileo. Brotherly type love. Yeah, he loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. He loved them. But some of them said, okay, well, yeah. He's the same guy that just opened the eyes of the blind man. If he did that, could he not have come and spared Lazarus his death? Where was he then? <laughs> you ever said that about Jesus, about the Lord? Where are you, Lord? Where are you? I mean, you can believe, but at that point moment in your life, you're like, well, where are you? I need you now. Thank you. I tell the story that when my dad was sick and we went to that little room <laughs> that was different from all the others. Everybody else is in one room, and they said, uh, McGee, we need you to come over here. <laughs> Surgeon comes out, and we're all sitting there. It's a nice room. Yeah, that's pretty what it is. And he said, I got some bad news. Went in, and there's nothing we can do. His intestines and stuff is just like tissue paper. So we just put them back together, and we're just waiting on time. Well, that's not what you want to hear. I mean, not, uh, if you've ever had where the doctors come in, you're, you're, you know, you hope for the best. But I had, uh, I had already waited thinking, this is not going to be good. It hurts when you hear it. But if you, I was half, sort of kind of like, okay, this is not, not going to come out the way I thought. At that moment in time, you would probably say, where are you, Lord? Why? But then after you come to your senses, you go, okay. Lord, he's in your hand. What do, you, what do you do when everything is out of your control? I tell you what I do. I lean on Jesus. I mean, there's some things we like to think we can control. Martha is the type of person that she tried to, she tries to, she, she's getting ready to try to control the situation. Because in the next few verses, Jesus was dealing with again, came to the tomb. It was at a cave. A stone was against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Uncover the it was, typically it was like a cave dug into the mountains or a, a hilly region, and over each of the tombs where they would lay their dead people would be stones across it. And Jesus simply says, "Take away the stone." But here you have Martha who says, well, "Wait a minute! If we do that, Lord, you need to understand he's been in there four days and his body stinks." We have niceties in the, in our translations. He smelleth, or there's an odor. No, he stinks. Because they didn't use embalming as a method of taking care of their dead. They put a lot of spices and stuff on them to try to camouflage and, and cover up the odor. But Martha says, and those how it's classified. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor there. He stinks, for he's been there four days. Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? Did I not say that to you? So we have the encounter at the tomb, and now we have the miracle at the tomb. Jesus gives three commands in this section. 
first command was, take away the stone. Martha tries to say, wait, wait, I don't know if you want to do that because he smells. There's an odor. He stinks. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed what I was going to do? Martha had already stated that she believed in verse 25, uh, verse 25 and 26 of chapter 11. I believe. But for the time she said that in verse 25 and 26, now there's a little bit of doubt because she said, wait a minute, hold it. You may not want to do that right off because he smells. But then Jesus offers his prayer in verses 41 and 42. Notice, what, notice how Jesus prays here. He says, he lifts up his eyes. Watch this. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Not hearing me, but you've already heard. Based on a past action with present responsibility, with present influence, is what Jesus said. You've already heard me. I know that you always hear me. So he Jesus is basically saying, I've already prayed the prayer, but now I know you're gonna hear you're hearing me right now. But I said this. I'm praying this on account of the people standing. I'm praying this not because I don't think you can do it or that I've already prayed. I'm praying this so that those that are around me will hear me. And as a result of those standing around, they may hear and believe that you sent me. I'm praying on the behalf of this crowd so they will know by what you're getting ready to do through me that you sent me. Every now and then, you and I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you, you know, I should pray. But then you don't do it. But you should do it because it's not always about you. It's about the people that may be around you. I have a regret. It's not a major one. It's just a little small one on the scale of life. But when I think about it, I think, man, I wish I would have. That was my opportunity, and I didn't seize the moment. I think I was, either was, I was at the hospital, either Tyler or Joshua. I think it was Joshua. And I go out of the room, and I'm down in the, in the waiting area with the TV and all that stuff. And there was a lady there that, and her, it was a mother and a daughter. And I was sitting off to the side, but I couldn't help hearing because they were talking loud enough. And they were really distraught. I mean, they were just, and I'm sitting there, and I, and I sensed the Lord was saying, why don't you go over and pray for them? Say, you know, just go up and say, excuse me, do you mind if I pray for you? And they said, no, I wasn't. I mean, whatever they said, they hopefully they would have said, sure, yeah, please. But I didn't. And every now and then that comes across my mind. I don't know what that would have done to them that a perfect total stranger, I didn't know them, they didn't know me, would have offered them prayer. I didn't know the whole entire situation. I just knew that they were just so, on the outward, just so, I knew it was their, I think it was their father and her husband, and they had just had surgery, and it, it, from what I heard, it didn't come out the way they thought it was, and they were upset. That's it. If I would have done that, what would have been the impact on that? Somebody at your job, on your school, whatever, coming to your office, and they're really upset. Sometimes the only thing you can say, Brother Milton, and those of you who are out, is like, can I pray for you? 
Yeah. I, guess what? Guess what? The, the secret. The, 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 I don't know. Hey, you know what? Let's pray. Right now. Standing in the cafeteria or standing in Walmart and people, you meet somebody, and they, let's pray. Well, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. Because it's not always about you. You don't know who may hear. It's like going out to a restaurant. People sometimes have come up and said, you know what? We're so thankful. We, we watched your family. And the fact that you bowed your head and prayed said something to us. I didn't do it to say anything. I just did it because that's what we do. Years ago, we went to well, Pastor Harris's anniversary. Church went out to, um, not Long John Silver's, what is it? Red Lobster. And Pastor says, we're well, always a group of us, deacons and, and people, the church members and all. He says, McGee, pray for the food. In the middle, we're sitting about 15, 20 or so of us, in the middle of Red Lobster. My first thing is, why me? How come I got to pray? I didn't say that out loud. I said that inside because I knew fast be like, excuse me, what do you mean? You know, uh, no. So I just get up. I said, let's bow our heads in prayer. And I prayed in the middle of Red Lobster for our time and fellowship and food and all that. <sighs> Amen. Jesus says, I'm praying for their behalf. That would be something we ought to take with us. I'm praying on this account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And then after that, when he had prayed this, what does he do? He says, the second command, Lazarus, come forth. That's all he says. First command, take away the stone. Second command, Lazarus, come forth. Now, you know the story. I'm not going to dwell, uh, dwell on this. He had to be specific because if he just simply say, come forth, guess what? You know what happened? Every dead person in a tomb or in a grave that had died would have gotten up universally. That shows the power of the word of God through Jesus. He has that. If he simply would say, come forth, even though he was standing at the tomb of Lazarus and it was specifically dressed to Lazarus, if he would have said, come forth, every dead person that has ever been buried would have got up out of the grave. So he was specific. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Mm -hmm. And they had boundaries. He, Third command was, loose him and let him go. Set him free. The power. The, the power of Jesus. As he spoke at the tomb of Lazarus, maybe he needs to speak at the tomb of where you might be today. Maybe he needs to say to you, take away the stone. What stone? The stone that's over your heart, the stone that's over your mind, the stone that, that's blinded your eyes. Maybe he needs to say that to some of us. Take away the stone. Maybe he needs to say, come forth. 
call your name by individual. It's time for you, you put your name, to come forth, to step up, to do, to be. Maybe since you and I sometimes are bound, he needs to say, I'm setting you free. Don't tell me what you can't do. Allow me to do to, through you what you can do through me. I can't. No, you, yeah, you can. I grew up in with my pastor at my home church. Can't die in a cornfield. Heard that hundreds, if not thousands. He didn't believe in that. But pastor, I can't. No, 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 no. There's no such thing as can't. Can't died in the cornfield. Which must mean is that you can do anything through Christ. I'm not a, don't try to be like Moses. Uh, Lord, I, I can't speak. I can't talk. Yeah, you can, Moses. But God in his graciousness gave him his sidekick, Aaron. It wasn't that God, God, God provided a means. He never excused Moses for the fact that he told God, I can't do this. I, I can't do it. Yeah, you can do a lot of things. I can do a lot. Our young people, we ought to have a multitude of some of our young people that we, in, in some of our families, that should be able to write in this writing contest. But I can tell you what some of them are going to tell you. I can't, I'm, I'm not good at public. I can't write. I can't speak. I can't do. Yeah, you can. Our responsibility as parents is to enforce that and to encourage that. Say, hey, you can write. You can speak. You talk about everything else. You can write a short four to six minute thing, memorize it, and stand in front of a crowd and speak out on that. Trust in God. Wait a minute. Hold, hold wait a minute. Are you, are you walking with him? That was my pastor's word. Are you walking with me? Are you and I walking with him? We can do a whole lot. We are just like that. Jesus needs to speak to us and say, hey, take away that stone that's covering our lives and stopping us from doing things. Take away... Come forth and do what he wants to do and set me free so that I may live out my life. So we've had the, the fact that we have an encounter at the tomb. We have the miracle at the, we have an encounter at the tomb. Now we have the miracle at the tomb. And now we're going to conclude with the Passover plot. I'm just going to summarize this. From this point on, if you read this, section is the march of Jesus going to the cross. You see the response of the people. There is a, there, it talks about here in those verses after he had risen. It says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Some believed the faith, but the majority of them did not. So how do you know that? Part one is, because somebody in the group that was there that saw that, some believed in the power of what they saw happen. It wasn't that they believed for, towards eternal life. They were like, wow, Jesus, look, he's powerful. Others that were there, many that were there, that's where they were. Man, this guy's got some power. It's like the pictures that talk about they can heal and do all that. They get a large crowd because people believe that he's able to extend their, their legs. They believe that they're on crutches, and they tell you, hey, just come on down here, let me throw some water at you, whatever. And they take the crutches, and they throw them out into the wherever, and people are, they start running through the crowd. 
And then you follow up with them a couple of days later, and they got the crutch again, and they limping. What happened here? The power of the moment, yes. But then also those are there that were spies. Because what do they do? If you read the account, they go back and they tell the, the Pharisees, oh, we need to be careful about this guy. Yeah, you didn't see the crowd that was there. He's been out here doing some stuff. And many people are starting to believe in him. And if we're not careful, this guy is going to take away from our power, our position, our authority. We need to do something about this. They, they missed it. They, they were afraid of their position. They were afraid that if, if people really last on and really honestly and truly believed in Jesus the way they were supposed to, our way of living, we, we, we are the, we're in the privileged position. I am the apostle. Who is this upstart out there getting people to believe? Oh, no, no, no. We need to do something with him. They said, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered their counsel. There they go. They're getting their counsel. What are we to do? What are we to do? What, what, what would you have us to do? For this man performs many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. If we allow this church to be powerful enough and people are drawn to Jesus, some will ask the question, what are we going to do about this? They're going over there. Why are they going over there? Don't they know we got some stuff over here? No, it's never been. Listen, it's not about a popularity contest. It's not about who gets the most people. Our main desire, whether they're here or somewhere else, is that people come to Christ and believe in him, and they're forgiven of their sins, and they're saved, and they're on their way to heaven. That's the most important part. We're not in a competition. So many churches get wrapped up in somebody coming, and then they go somewhere, go somewhere else. Well, hey, wait a minute. The chief thing of all things is they're saved and they're somewhere that teaches and preaches the Bible. I will never tell anybody to go to any church of your own choice or choosing because all churches are not equal. I don't try to control people. I don't tell them where to go. Now, if somebody calls me and says, hey, Pastor, I'm moving to such and such a place. I'm going to Xenia. I'm going to Dayton. Or going, I will give them, or going down towards Cincinnati. I will give them recommendations because I know some good churches in those areas. I said, you know what, you need to check out this. I, I told uh, Sheila's friend that. I said, you're in Dallas. I'll tell you the church you should go to. There's two churches you need to check out, Pilgrim Rest and Dr. Tony Evans' church. Those two churches I know. You're going to get the word. Amen? I said, now, if you go to one of those two places, you're going to grow. You're going to be matured in Christ. You're going to be taught the word of God. I know that. So she went to Tony Evans' church, and that's where she's at. I know he, th- he, I know he knows the Bible. I know he teaches and preaches the word. Amen. What are we gonna do with this guy? What's gonna happen? But then, Caiaphas, used by God. <laughs> I love God. I love the Lord. You know why? Because He controls what's happening. They're worried about this the situation on the outward, but. The Lord, God himself, is going to use Caiaphas. And Caiaphas says some things he didn't even know what he was saying. 
how do you know that? Listen to what Caiaphas, Caiaphas comes forward. He was a high priest that year and said to them, he's, he's speaking to this crowd of people saying, you don't know anything at all. Nor do you understand that it's, now catch what he says, nor do you understand that it is what? Better for, for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation, not that the whole nation should perish. I want to highlight that. Why? That one man should die, not the whole nation. It comes back to the whole reason why Christ came into the world. He doesn't know any of this. He's not even conscious. But what he's saying is one man, one man died. One man should die for the whole nation. One man died for everyone. He didn't get it. He didn't really understand what he was saying. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will what? Draw all nations unto me. Caiaphas, used by God, and said, wait a minute. It's better that this one man dies for the wrong reason, that we all should not perish and lose our power and authority. And what I'm saying is what he said pointed to what Jesus did for us. One man in Christ died, by the name of Christ, died for us, the whole world. No one should perish. He tells him, you don't get it. But the high priest, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And he did. And for us. John lets us know. <laughs> John says, and not the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. The diaspora. The scattered. The diaspora means those who are scattered. The Jewish nation is scattered. But one day, it will be brought back together. 1948, many believe, started the point. They may have started, but Jesus, God is not through with his people yet. They're still scattered abroad. Now, after he comes and we go and the tribulation and all that, they will all come back to the nation of Israel. But until then, they have been scattered. They are the diaspora. They're scattered abroad. Verse 53 is the one you need to highlight from that day on. They made plans to put him to death. There it is. The march to the cross. From the point of raising Lazarus to the point of Caiaphas talking about Jesus, now, now the plan has been hatched. The death of Jesus. He's a marked man. He's on, he's on his way to the cross. They just got to get him at the right place at the right time to get there. Jesus, verse 54, he no longer walked openly among the Jews. Now, some days are over. He wasn't going to be openly walking around in front of them. Because, you know, he did that all, all the way up to chapter 11. Remember? One of the disciples, Thomas, oh, no. We don't need to go back there, Lord. We will die. Let us go back and die with Jesus. Let's go back and die with him. He says he wants to go back. All right. We're going to die, but we're going to die with him. If, he, if he's going to die, we're going to die with him. So now here's Jesus. Uh, you know, I like to say this, and people say, what's that mean? Be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. You need to weigh out some things that you do or don't do. Be wise in some of the places 
in some of the things that you do or say. Be wise as a serpent, but also be harmless as a dove. Do no harm. Some of, some of us like to say, I say whatever's on my mind. Well, that's not always good. In fact, it's never good because your mind is weak. Before you speak your mind, say this, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, to you Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I just tell people, I'm the type of person, I just say what I, I just say it. Sometimes you show your ignorance by just saying what you think. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. Be wise. So Jesus is on his way to the cross. He no longer walks among the Jews. He, he's, he's, the Passover's there. There's many there. And they question the fact, you know, we're off here looking for Jesus now. I just wonder, it's Passover. If he's a good Jew, is he going to be here? Is he going to be around? What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Mm. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. He's on his way. He's, he's a marked man. I will tell you and I this, and I close. You and I are marked if we're really a disciple and follower of Jesus. People may not want to hang around you because you are a follower of him. If you and I live our lives and everybody likes us, that's a problem. Like in the sense that we never ruffle any feathers. We're the nice guy all the time. Because every now and then in our conversations, we may say some things or speak some things, not out of spite, not out of anger, but out of truth. And people may get upset at you. But really what they're upset at is not so much you, it's the truth that you're speaking. That's why they're upset with Jesus. It wasn't him, per it's what he was saying and, what, and who he was. He said, <laughs> I'm the son of God. And they said, no, you're not. You're not bigger than, you are not as big and powerful as we are. And the fact was, he was. Because he was God in the flesh. A lot of good things in this account of Lazarus. You could take that back and go read it and say, wow. Didn't know all that was in there. And there's still more in there. You just didn't bring it all out. Say it again. Play it again, Sam. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word.